It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. I'm Zerlina Maxwell, and I'm joined by special guest co-host, Joe Sudbay. Joining us on the phone is Amanda Lippman, co-founder and co-executive director of Run for Something. She's here to talk about state and local elections and what's at stake in the upcoming elections and how to engage. Thanks, Amanda, for joining. Thanks for having me, Joe and Zerlina. I am so excited. Good morning. Good morning. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, Amanda, just for folks who don't know and everyone who listens to Progressive Radio should know about Run for Something. Talk talk a little bit about your organization and and the work that you do. So Run for Something was born of the ashes of the 2016 election. Um, About a week after election day in 2016, I got a message from someone I went to college with. Hey, Amanda, I'm thinking about running for office. I'm a public school teacher in Chicago. You know this world. What do I do? I didn't have an answer for them because at the time, if you were young and newly excited about politics and you wanted to do more than vote and more than volunteer, there was nowhere you could go that would help you. So along with my co-founder, Ross morales Riquetto, we launched Run for Something on Trump's inauguration day to solve that problem, to give young people who were thinking about running for office a place where they could get some help and where they'd feel welcome. We launched thinking it'd be really small. We'd get maybe 100 people who wanted to run on the first day. Instead, we had 1,000 people sign up in the first week. And as of today, more than 100,000 young people all across the country have said they want to run. We've endorsed more than 1,900, and we've elected 637 young people in 48 states, mostly women, mostly people of color, about a quarter LGBTQ, and they're amazing. They're doing stuff that makes people's lives better, which is such a nice change from folks in D.C. So it's been really beautiful to see that transformation from people to person who cares to person who runs to person who leads. I love this because, you know, I we have a joke on the show all the time, you know, there's got to be somebody better in Texas <laughs> than Ted Cruz. There's got to be somebody, um, you know, better in in Georgia in Marjorie Taylor Greene's district than than Marjorie Taylor Greene. There's got to be somebody better um, than many of these ideological state state reps on the local level. There's got to be somebody better for the school board. Um, in these communities where people are um, passing crazy anti-critical race theory laws based on a lie about critical race theory that's not being taught in school anyway. Um, And so I feel like, you know, your organization was perfectly positioned to capture the energy of people who sort of look at their, who is representing them and go like, that guy? (laughs) And usually usually it's a guy, but not always. (laughs) Um, and it'd be like that person, that person's representing me. I can do better. Or I know somebody, um, that can do a better job. I know somebody, um, who is, you know, perfectly positioned to run for something. Um, can you talk about why young people sometimes are resistant to looking at running for office or even working in politics, like as a potential career, you rarely meet somebody who's like graduating from college unless you're like in Washington, D.C. Um, you know, like I rarely meet kids who are 17 seniors um, in high school or graduating from college, you know, at 21 who are like, I'm going to go work on a congressional campaign. 
That's yeah. what my job is, right? Do you think that we should get to a place where that is something that people that are graduating from high schools and colleges should be thinking of as a career path? No, that's the goal. The idea is that running for office is as viable an option for you as going to work at Target or going to be a teacher or going to be an artist, whatever your career path is. You know, my dream one day is that run for something is recruiting <laughs> on these college campuses, at community colleges, even in high schools, and really getting people to think about running for office is as much a part of the civic engagement process as voting or volunteering. You know, I think young people haven't stepped up in the past, in part because they haven't seen people like them lead. The numbers on this blow my mind. You know, 32 of 50 U.S. governors are over the age of 60. The average age in the House is 58. The average age in the Senate is 63. Fewer than 6% of state legislators are under the age of 35. The median age of a mayor elected in 2020 was 57. The median age of a school board member is 59. You know, at every level of government, they're just older. And of course, like, generations, age is not the only metric of diversity, but it's certainly a, a shortcut that also accounts for gender and race and class and life experience. No, these are all a bunch of birds of the same feather. And it is time <laughs> for young people to really see themselves in these offices. I think that's been one of the coolest parts of this work is that as we help more people become the first, whether it's the youngest or the only or the the first black woman, the first Latina, the first queer person, the first non-binary, the first implies they're not the last. And we have seen that over and over again. I saw you helped someone like me run. Can you help me too? It's yeah. so powerful to see people, to see someone like you in leadership. Um, Amanda, um, when I, uh, one of the things I'm interested in is um, some of the candidates and some of the places that you're um, endorsing this year. I know you just did your February endorsements and I can't help but think, you know, last night at the start of the show, we were talking about Florida passing its horrible 15 uh, week abortion ban. And one of the leaders, most outspoken members of the Florida House on the floor fighting against that was Ana Eskamani, who uh, you endorsed several years ago. So you're seeing people that you endorsed take on these leadership roles. Who are some of the uh, candidates and where are some of the places you're looking for 2022? Uh, such a good question. I have loved seeing Anna thrive. She is such a star and is the kind of person who I am sure will be governor or president or whatever she wants exactly. one day. Um, we have some really incredible 2022 candidates. We actually just endorsed a new class yesterday. We have 119 new people who are part of the Run for Something community. Um, a couple of the folks that we are really exciting, excited about. Um, let's see, really, really excited about James Coleman, who's running for California Assembly. He's currently a city council member in the city of South San Francisco. Um, he was one of the youngest people elected in that city council. He unseated an 18-year incumbent and became the youngest and first openly LGBTQ plus council member ever elected in the city. Now he's running for state assembly. Um, we're working for a number of candidates who are running for Texas State Board of Education, including Stacy Childs, who's running in District 4. Um, and uh, what is his name? Ooh, I want to get it right. Um, Garcia. Don't worry, I, I couldn't think of what the definite or the, what trap law stood for earlier this morning. So. I too think it, it's too early in the morning. We will yeah. update everyone at the end of the interview as to the name. So just fill in the blank. 
We were working with two candidates for Texas State Board of Education. <laughs> this is the kind of position. Thomas Garcia. Thomas Garcia and Stacey Shell running State Board. That's the kind of office that Republicans have invested in for decades. It's one of the um, the biggest like offices around state education in the country because they have oversight into the curriculums and textbooks that Texan students get. And a lot of textbook markets or textbook writers write for the Texas market. It's one of the biggest in the country. So when the State Board of Education says, no, you can't talk about Black history or Helen Keller or Hillary Clinton, as some of them have suggested over the years, that has a big impact on the kind of books people get. Um, so we're really excited about those. We're working with a number of school board candidates, which I think is so important, especially this year as we're seeing the conversations around book bans and curriculum changes and equity issues. Um, we're working with justice of the peace candidates and superior county clerk races in Durham, North Carolina, um, which really affects the quality of life people have. We're working with a couple of folks for county clerk, and I'm sure that number will increase dramatically. Um, most recently, we endorsed someone who is running for Lake County clerk, uh, Anthony Vega. Uh, he's running against an incumbent who is having a whole bunch of corruption and incompetency issues. When he announced his campaign, his incumbent decided, actually, just kidding, now I'm a Republican and I'm gonna run as a Republican. So there is so much good stuff going on this year that outside of congressional midterms that we'll be paying attention to. I mean, when, when you look at the future, and I sort of um, preface this interview by, by saying we're, we're going to be talking about the future, do you feel optimistic and hopeful? Because you're actually interacting with um, candidates that are, that are new to, to politics, they're new to running, you know, they're, they're going to be fresh blood, <laughs> right, um, so mm -hmm. to speak, in, into the systems that, you know, we're talking about every day that, you know, up until this point, I've been working too well. Um, the pandemic has exposed a lot of that. Um, we're looking outside and we're like, this could be going better. Um, and, and so you're putting into place people who can move up the pipeline of candidates that, you know, will be the leaders in our Congress and presidents of the future. Does that make you optimistic? Is there, some, you know, is that the thing you sort of are, are clinging to every day, even if you like maybe get to a moment where you're having a negative thought spiral? Because I know that a lot of these challenges are existential um, and the threats to democracy are existential, but I feel like being able to hang your hat on the fact that we have young uh, candidates stepping up, young people stepping up, um, that's got to make you feel optimistic. So are you? I am, you know, I am certainly uh, equal parts optimistic and realistic. You know, the threat to democracy is incredibly real. It is dangerous. We are at a tipping point. And we have always say like, this is the most important election of our lifetime. But I think 2022, if we do not invest meaningfully, especially in these local races, you know, the county clerks, the, the supervisors of elections that will be the last line of defense for democracy in 2024, that will be the one standing up against election subversion. If we do not fight for as many of these positions as possible this year and in 2023, where a thousand of them are on the ballot, including in some key battleground states, you know, we put it all at risk. And I am incredibly optimistic because if democracy survives, which I'm going to do everything I can to fight for it, and I hope all of the listeners do too, the future is so bright. We're going to have Governor Ana Eskamani if she wants to be. And you know, Governor Lena Hidalgo down in Texas, if she wants to be, and, you know, Senator Roger Robinson, if he wants to be out in California, and, 
there was like, I could do this for hours. There's so many incredible leaders. And even if they don't decide to run for higher office, the work that they are doing locally is making people's lives better. And the more we can flood these local governments with good, young, passionate progressives who care, the better the outcomes will be. So if democracy survives, I think the future is really bright. We, we just got to get there. And one way to get there, um, Amanda, is, uh, and this is, you know, we're talking about building a pipeline for higher office, but one of the things I think is so important, and if you have good candidates running at these state and local races, they're the people who are out in the community knocking the doors, knowing their neighbors, knowing who votes, who doesn't vote. It, 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 it like, it's something I feel like has been neglected for so long, but these, this is where the actual, you know, rubber hits the road in elections. All politics is local. And mm-hmm. if you can get really good candidates at the local level, it benefits everybody up the whole ticket as well. Um, talk about that a little bit. Yes, this is a phenomenon we call reverse coattails. So people might be familiar with the idea that the top of the ticket has coattails, that as they drag along the organizing space, they bring up the rest of the folks on the ballot. And maybe that's true. Some political science research in the past has shown that's true. What we have found is that the reverse is also true. Competing locally, especially for the research we did on the state legislative level, but even more locally, can help gin up turnout and increase democratic performance at the top of the ticket. Um, by anywhere between 0.6 and 1.3%, which feels like a small number until you remember that's similar to the margins that Joe Biden won a state like Georgia or Michigan or North Carolina. Well, not North Carolina, but Georgia or Michigan. These are the kinds of places that when you have even a little bit of an increase in Democratic turnout, even in places where that candidate might lose, it can run up the score. It can really move the needle. And it makes sense. You know, they're knocking doors. The average run for something candidate knocks between five and 7,000 doors themselves pre-pandemic. We know that these folks are having conversations with voters about issues that are personal, are localized, are deeply, deeply meaningful, and are doing so in a way that is authentic to that community. You know, when we talk about the Democrats need a message, I like, I disagree with that premise entirely. What Democrats need is thousands of local candidates knocking doors, talking about our values in a way that makes sense to those voters. We are too diverse and too broad and too expansive to try and have one message. What we need are thousands of incredible messengers, thousands of them, if not more, tens of thousands, in a way that can make it local. And they are building data, they are bringing relationships, they are often exciting folks around stuff that feels personal. It's the conversations around schools and streets and traffic and trash cleanup. It's It directs your quality of life. So it gets people out to the polls in a way that especially in a lot of places where the top of the ticket might not be competitive anymore, thanks to either a combination of gerrymandering or the electoral college can really bring people to the polls. I mean, it's such a good point about um, the fact that uh, Democrats are such a diverse um, party and movement um, that, and the progressive movement is such a diverse movement that the, the one message, just like the whole premise is stupid. It always has been, too. And I, I, I think that you're right in, in the way that you, you say that so clearly. I wish people had said it earlier and more often. So I'm going to start saying it. And I will credit you. Um, because it, it feels to me um, as if some of the folks who have been traditionally in the power, um, 
positions in the, you know, the establishment Democrats, if you will, um, capitalize both of those terms um, and sort of think about who traditionally has been in power, you know, they benefit um, by keeping the diversity that of the voters um, out of those positions of power. So what I'm saying is they are the ones who benefit from this idea that there is one message. I mean, there's one message maybe to like white suburban voters and those are the voters that have too often been prioritized. Um, but what's clear is that we need a change in leadership within um, the progressive infrastructure and <laughs> um, in local <laughs> and congressional races because, um, you know, the diversity of the voters needs to be reflected in the diversity of the elected leaders and the party leadership. Well, and Zerlina, to your point, like the Republican Party doesn't have this problem. All of the <laughs> voters are basically the same and all of their candidates, all of their messengers are basically the same. You know, you think about if Joe Biden says something and AOC says the exact same sentence, it is going to be received so differently based on who is doing the communicating. Message is not distinct from messenger. We need messengers who can speak to people where they are in a way that makes sense to them. And that's what local candidates are. They're the Democratic Party's you know, influencers, so to speak. They're the ones who can meet people in their homes, at their doors, in a language, both literally and figuratively, that they understand. It's so true. So great, so great. So do we have much more time we have? Let me look. One minute. Okay, so she told me to wrap. Okay, I'm getting, I'm getting the wrap signal. Um, Amanda Lemon, it's always so great to talk to you. You give us hope. Um, and like I said, um, you're optimistic, and I can't help but be optimistic after conversations with you, Amanda, co-founder and co-executive director of Run for Something. Please stay safe. Thank you so you much too. as always. Good luck with everything. And if you want to get engaged with Run for Something, go to runforsomething.net. Thank you all so much for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at Zerlina Maxwell, at Jess underscore MC, and at Signal Boost Show.